Bailey's boys belts a blinder for the dogs as Barbershop try to leave the Lions lost. Tomahawk cast in Jack and the Beanstalk reboot as he slays Giants. Blue support collaboration with Durex after pleading with everyone to stop pulling out of the coaching race. And a brave Lucky Neil reveals his fear of commitment while planning for future family. Hello and welcome back to AFL by Dummies. My name is Alex Henry. Joining me this week, as he does every week, it's Lockie Neal's pregnant wife, Tom Kreiser. Oh yeah, love it, love it. Love the free stuff I'm going to get on Instagram because of it. Oh, already loving the free nappies. Are the free nappies worth the um, endless amounts of hate you're receiving from the broader community and in particular Brisbane. from Brisbane fans? Oh, Queensland. The, the Queensland hate on top of that would be particularly brutal. So uh, I pro- probably would assume no. <laughs> Safe bet. <laughs> Safe bet. <laughs> All right, Tom, let's get straight into it. We had two semifinals this weekend. What happened? All right, well, semifinals are like everybody's long-forgotten uncle. And the thing about uncles is that they can either be the ugly duckling or, you know, the cool uncle with a motorbike and a leather jacket. Right? That's what cool uncles are like these days, yeah? Yes, I can confirm that. And we had the full 360 experience last weekend. It started with Friday night's game, which would have been used in sleep studies in universities across the nation. The cats were like the popular girl at Geelong Grammar. They never really wanted to be there, and they clearly had better things to do, like, you know, take Daddy's Jaguar down to Rye and run into Nadia Bartel. While the Giants looked like a newborn trying to walk when they didn't quite have a full idea of left, right, left, right. It looked like they could put the missing pieces together, but never really got there. It really was a struggle for the Cats to take the game apart uh, when they were doing the football equivalent of rolling their eyes whenever the Giants had any real skill. I guess I have to work this weekend. Boring. On the other hand, Saturday night was the Queen at Wembley, or Green in an octagon, a real spectacle. It was an arm wrestle that looked like Brisbane's all night until, and Smitty's on ice, broke the hearts of pub goers across Queensland. Smitty's on ice, Alex? Bailey's on ice. It was right there for you. How could you miss that? Now, three top four finishes in a row without a grand final to show for it looks Australian Idol audition bad. But they will spend the offseason doing rainer dances, flexing their hip woods, and kneeling before the footy gods for that illustrious grand final spot. Will they manage to mix day in the top four next season, Tom? That's the real question here. <laughs> Uh, very nice, very nice. I hope I, I hope for Queensland football's sake they do. It was an incredible game um, on Saturday and uh, it really looked like either way I was barracking for the draw. I think, I think most neutrals were barracking for extra time in a semifinal. It would have been great to see. Um, and to have both Bailey Smith and Zach Bailey uh, kick... Absolutely clutch goals uh, with dying seconds was uh, uh, awesome to watch. Yeah, I'm with you. This this game had everything that I love. No, I mean, number one, as you talk about Zach Bailey and Bailey Smith, two 
really good goals under pressure, but riding the headlines for everyone out there, in particular <laughs> yeah, Bailey yeah. Smith with his celebration. I don't know how many variations of Bailey's on ice I've read over the past few days, but it's been numerous. And then after that, one of my favourite things in a footy game is because we have two different methods of scoring, a goal and a behind, with one being worth more than the other, more often than not, we focus on the goals being valuable. And for good reason. But I love it when a behind wins the game. That is my favourite <laughs> part of footy. And Vandermeer's was the, the perfect version of that. It wasn't after the siren where all he had to do was score. He was being tackled and he just thought, oh, the goal's in front of me, I'm just going to chuck it on my foot. And he managed to get it over line, and that's what counts. <laughs> After Brisbane, you tried, I think, three times and missed the behind post, like missed the behinds by inches either mm. side of the goals. Oh, what a game. Absolutely. Let's cover the Geelong GWS game quickly. Um, it was very one sided. GWS, of course, they were like the WWE, clearly missing Hogan. <laughs> I'm busting out a couple of puns for you after the main story, Tom. Some elite stuff here. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was brave of them to take the field without Green and Hogan. Let's just say that. <laughs> Better off staying home, I reckon. <laughs> Go back to your coffee shops. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get into our first battle round, Tom. Ding, ding, ding. All right, you're up first. What have you got for us? All right, so we just spoke about the, you know, straight sets exits that the Lions have had. And to make matters worse, we all know that uh, there were leaked reports that Lucky Neal was in discussions about getting a trade back to Frio with two years left on his contract. Now, that got me thinking... um, and I've come with come to you, Alex, with a pitch for a new TV show um, based off a, a HBO show format. Um, so I just uh, love to get your thoughts about this premise. I think it got easily Fox Footy straight after 360. Um, perfect primetime television spot. All right, welcome to F Boy Island AFL Edition. All right, the premise is simple. Three clubs list managers are stranded on the island off the east coast of Australia. They're, they bring with them, uh, each of them bring a five-year $800,000 contract <laughs> that they are very, very desperate to part with. <laughs> now, on the island are 12 hunky pieces of meat that kick a weird-shaped piece of leather Real nice. <laughs> These players are aching for that sweet and tasty AFL contract. From the simple farm by footy player to Scotch College's high-prized recruit and everything <laughs> in between, they glisten in the hot Australian sun. Each week they spend on the island talking, observing, and seeing all these tantalizing young hotshots attempt to converse about anything. Now, it usually ends up being about Call of Duty Warzone, LeBron James, or how many goals they kicked against Halebury. <laughs> and I guess that would be some, you know, enough for some, but I think there needs to be a catch um, on top of that. Mm. So let's take these 12 hunky you know, AFL footballers and make six of them football F-boys. Now, I hear you ask in your head, 
Tom, what's in a football F-boy? Well, that's good, Tom. You, you jumped in before I could literally ask it out loud. <laughs> uh, now, I understand that most footballers are, you know, the traditional F-boys to begin with in their career. And then after, you know, one too many dick pic scandals, they uh, <laughs> become on the straightened arrow. Um, however, a football F-boy is a little bit different. I would call them the type that doesn't really care about contracts. To them, the list manager's heart is not on their radar. They're, they're there to get in, win flags, make bags, and if it doesn't happen within two years, boom, request a trade to Geelong because at least I get to play in a prelim. <laughs> the other six, though, nice guys of the football world. Players that took a pay cut to stay a one-club player. Or, you know, players who are getting paid to play for the other team after their original club used his struggle with mental health and his relationship status as justification to trade him. Right. So like the Bontempelli on 600k or the Adam Trelaw being cut type. <laughs> yeah, that type. Now, my only question, Alex, is that, you know, as, you know, creators of the format, We've been also hired as casting managers. Of course. Now, who do we think are, you know, some of the football F-boys in uh, in the current system? We know, number one, Lucky Neal's at the top of our list yeah. to, you know, ask his agent. Uh, but let's see if we can think of any more. So I'm thinking you've got to get Trek Cochin in on the guys that are asking for unders so they can protect the rest of their teammates type. Like... Yeah, yeah. Absolutely not. Nice guy. One club player. Very much a, a nice guy of the AFL. And then in comparison, like I think you could pretty much go the entire GWS top end for the other ones. So you could put Kelly <laughs> there. You could put Caniglio there. All of them. They, they could all go in. Because let's be honest, most of, most of them are perfect for it. They've got that GWS jawline and man bone. Yeah, yeah, they're all shirtless down at Bondi anyway, so <laughs> easy fit to slot them in, you know, yeah. down the east coast, east coast of Australia. I think they'd be perfect. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's an absolutely perfect fit. Mm. Um, I think it'll just end up being North Melbourne offering, you know, a $1.6 million five-year deal and everyone's saying no, and that's just the one of the episodes. I could see that happening. Oh, yeah, and there's got to be an episode where um, Nathan Prawd accidentally sends out several more dick pics um, <laughs> and ends up ends up causing an international scandal. <laughs> but he still gets that rose. I don't know. It'll be still oh, be a rose. Of course he does. I think, oh, yeah, he'll still get the oh, rose. Well, wait, is it a rose or a premiership medallion? Like one of the two. Yeah, premiership medallion. Very fair, very fair. All right, I think it's got legs. Yeah, I think it's got legs, Alex. Absolutely. That was very solid from you, Tom. I'm not going to lie. I did think straight up the gate when you were saying, you know, this this AFL F-Boy Island, I thought he's missed out here. He's missed out to the opportunity to run an entire parody of the Lockie Neal saga as The Bachelor. But this turned out very well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was thinking about that, whether we could uh, pull that one off. Uh, we might have to save that one for the other for another day. I think we could definitely do a whole bachelor section. <laughs> yeah, so good. Maybe we will get up to the bachelor some other time, Tom. We shall see. But now 
it is time for my stat. Now, after last week where we talked about, you talked about Port Adelaide, very interesting, the several mm. draft picks they've had recently and how that's helped propel them up the ladder. I talked about how I would be really interested to see, you know, of, of the teams that have had large numbers of high draft picks over a couple of years, which teams had done well out of it, right? And we had many different messages from the AFL by Dummies community coming to us and saying, yes, Alex, we need to hear that breakdown. Um, so I went and did it and definitely not because I was being obsessive about it. There were many people, Tom, many, many, many people. <laughs> so <laughs> here's what I've got for you, okay? Um, I've had a look at every single team that took more than one draft pick in the first round over the last 21 years since the 2000 AFL draft. Now, obviously, I'm not going to go through all of those. That would take too long. What I am going to do is I'm going to go team by team and point out to you at which point they have had um, more at, at which point they have had four or more draft picks in the first round over two years, right? In a row? Two years in a row, yes. Yeah, okay. So these are the kind of um, numbers that we hear that when teams are talking about rebuilding and getting yourself a good crop of the best young talent. This is the kind of numbers we hear. You need at least four draft picks over two years. So let's have a look at them. Adelaide, a side that hasn't seen much success at all over the last 20 years, they've only on one occasion had that, the four draft picks over two years, and that's been the last two years, 2019, 2020. So hopefully that will be building towards something in the future for them, but they haven't had anything before them, which I think is interesting. Mm-hmm. The Brisbane Lions are a team in which has had it on two separate occasions. Now, obviously, over their 2000-2004 dynasty, um, they didn't have many high draft picks over that period and then went through a really bad period where they were struggling over the next five or six years financially, despite the fact that they were finishing kind of mediocre, didn't get the high draft picks, didn't get any premierships, only had a couple of finals wins. So they were kind of middling out. Then in the early 2010s, they started to bottom out. You see some high draft picks come in and we're starting to see that flow on effect in this Brisbane Lions side that's finished in the top four the last three years in a row. So 2010 through to 2012, the Brisbane Lions have seven first round draft picks over three years. And then in 2015 to 2017, just when you think that first wave might have petered out, we saw several of those players move on, Sam Doherty, Elliot Yo, etc., the Brisbane Lions have seven more draft picks over three years to help build this side into the current strong football club that's finished in the top four three years in a row. Interesting. Two, that's two groups and, and they've clearly failed that first first wave and have to go back. Yeah, back so again. It's, it's, it's a combination because they half failed over the first wave because, you, you know, um, as I said, Yo isn't there. Doherty isn't there. Several of the other ones aren't there. Uh, Sam Mays isn't there. Um, The other Port Adelaide guy, I think. Um, Several of the other ones still aren't there. But several of the ones that were taken over that period are the leaders of the club. So Zorko um, and Daniel Rich, for instance, were both taken over that period. Um, The next one is probably my favourite one out of this. 
Carlton. Carlton have on three separate occasions, Tom, three separate occasions had a crack where they sunk to so low on the ladder that they had four draft picks over two years. In 2005 to 2006, that Murphy-Gibbs period, they had four. In 2014 to 2015, they had five. And then 2017, 2018, they had four more again. Now, those first two groups, I think we can argue, were undeniable failures. They achieved nothing out of them except one finals win, I think is the best they've gotten out of that entire period. The 2017 to 2018 crop, I think we're looking really positive, though. Inside that, you're seeing Harry Mackay, Jacob Wiedering, Sam Walsh. Oh, no, Sam Walsh was the year after, so he doesn't count, I believe. Um but several other young talents that are developing really well. Um, so that's not a bad crop for them. And maybe if Carlton does end up coming up the ladder in the next few seasons, that will be the reason why that last one. But those first two do demonstrate that this does not always work. Now, yeah. Collingwood. Collingwood are a great example of the right age bracket improving at the right time. Collingwood, 2005 to 2006, after they had several grand finals in the early 2000s, had four over those two years. That was the side that came along and finished quite highly over 2010, 2011, won a grand final, made made another one against Geelong that they lost. So that's that development coming through. And then in 2012 to 2014, they had seven over those three years. And all of those players, that's the core that has led up to the um, 2018 grand final that they ended up losing. Um, and there's several years around that where they were quite good as well. So you're seeing all the likes of Jordan Degoe is in there, Darcy Moore is in there, all of their talented players, they were taken in that period. So Collingwood been quite successful with their draft picks, even if it hasn't got them a ton of premierships, just the one. Essendon, wow. If Carlton, you would argue, are one of the biggest flops on here, I think Essendon is undeniably the biggest flop on here. They have had on four separate occasions achieved this, Tom, over the last decade. So 2002 to 2003, they took four. 2005 to 2006, they took four. That side only got a couple of um, elimination final results that they lost. Nothing really achieved there. 2014 to 2015, they bottomed out again um, in the middle of the drug saga, got four. What's that side achieved? Well, they are the backbone of the current side that's made a final this year. So maybe that is starting to improve now. And then, of course, last year they took three in one year. So not four over two years yet because they didn't have one in 2019. But we suspect they'll have a first-round draft pick this year and that'll mean four in two years. So, again, maybe building signs for Essendon for three or four years' time, they'll be ready, when which, we, which we've talked about previously, but massive failures over the last two decades. Yeah, but they overachieved this year. So hopefully it means that they can build on that. Absolutely. So Fremantle, 2010 to 2011, they took four. um, And they were kind of the generation. They weren't necessarily the best players in that um, grand final side under Ross Lyon. But in a similar way to Port Adelaide, that was the likes of Fife and the others that helped reinvigorate them to help... um, provide that burst of energy that turns you into a competitive side again. So that was really positive for Frio. And then 2019 to 20 over the last two years, they've had four more again. But again, they haven't really, when you look at it, haven't really had the high draft picks to turn themselves into a strong side. A lot of years we see them finish that kind of 8th to 13th and it doesn't get them that real top-end talent that you want. Yeah, yeah. They, they always uh, speak about the, the, the death in the middle, you would call it, in the AFL. Now, Geelong, of course, that we know, Tom, has not had 
one lot of four draft picks over two years from the first round. That's how successful they've been over this two decades. They've come out of it with three premierships, so many preliminary finals, as we know it's ridiculous. They've just been that successful. All draft picks that they do get, they trade away for good players, um, and it works for them. So they are the counter-argument against this. But mm. I want to talk about the Gold Coast and GWS as one because they are fascinating for me. Now, we know that both of those two teams got loaded drafts in their first year, right? So Gold Coast in their first year, 2010, got eight first-round picks. Eight first-round picks. Do you want to know what they were? They had one, two, three, seven, nine, ten, eleven, thirteen. 10, 11, 13. That's crazy stuff. GWS in their first year, they had 11 first-round picks. <laughs> 11 first round picks. They had 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 7, 9, 10, 11, 13, 14. Crazy numbers. So what is further interesting about this is Gold Coast kind of backed in the list that they had from there and didn't have too many more after that. It wasn't until 2014 to 16 where they had eight draft picks in the first round over those three years where we actually, actually saw them go again. They really backed in that first generation to work for them. This is highly contrasted against the GWS strategy. So when you have a look at them, 2011, 2012, they had 11 in their first year, five the year after that, so 16 in their first two years. But what they did is they traded some of those and they traded some of their experienced players as well out for more draft picks. So the 2013 to 14, they had six more. 2015 to 16, they had seven more. 2018 through to 2020, a period in which they finished in a grand final and a prelim final, Tom, they had eight more. Eight more. <laughs> they have been so successful at trading out their good players at times while still maintaining being a good team um, and trading out some of the young talent that hasn't quite worked for them. We've seen various players like uh, Matt Kennedy, um, Yaksh, and all of the other ones, Pickett that went to Carlton, Marchbank, Plowman, you just look at the Carlton lot and look at how many high draft picks GWS got for that. Really demonstrate the different strategy. Now, Gold Coast, of course, failed pretty badly with that 2014 to 2016 batch. That has not gone well for them. They have not developed those at all. Maybe they will end up being the core going into the future. Um, you know, some of those players have become good players, the likes of Hugh Greenwood, Turk Miller but not many of them have. Um, this current batch, the 2018 to 2019 for Gold Coast, where they had seven over those two years, those are the ones we got to be hopeful in. Rankin, King, the others, hopefully they will come good. Mm, yeah, yeah. I think that that, that crop, it'll be different. That crop will try and stick together. I, I do hope so. Now, we can't go through any of these dynasty draft eras without talking about Hawthorne. From 2004 to 2005, they had seven first round picks. But famously, of course, we have the 2004 national draft where they had picks two, five, and seven. But the year after as well, they had three, six, 14, and 18. And the year before that, in 2003, they took Luke Hodge in the first round. So it was an incredibly successful era for them. And it was the building the back of that side that won the grand final in 2008 and then the three-peat years later with those experienced veterans. However, the problem with Hawthorne, as we know, Clarko doesn't like to bottom out. They haven't had any since. For a side that has not been particularly successful in the last five or six years, we haven't seen much from them. They haven't had a year in which they've had 
two first round draft picks, let alone two years where they've had four. So interesting from them. Melbourne, wow, where do we start? The successes and the failures in here, this is everything rolled into one. 2002, 2003, they had four first round draft picks over that era. They flopped, the side made an elimination final and that's all they achieved. 2007 to 2009, this has got to be the single greatest waste of high draft picks I've ever seen. They had seven over those rounds, including the worst of it being in 2009 where they hit picks one, two, and 11. And none of those guys have gone on to be successful players for their club, which is just an indictment. Terrible, terrible (laughs) drafting and development at the time. Development is a problem. But if we look at the second half of that, we've got some successes in the last seven years, which has been really positive. So they had four over that 2014 to 2015 period. That's when we saw Petrarca, Brayshaw, Oliver, right? That's the building blocks of this current side. Really successful there. And then the last batch has helped reinvigorate them and go back up the ladder. So 2019, 2020, um, we've seen the likes of Luke Jackson and... um, Cosy Pickett, who have been instrumental this season. Yeah, so a terrible first 15 years for Melbourne of the century and then have helped get better um, over the last five years. North Melbourne, right, a side in which we think of as being highly unsuccessful over the last 20 years. They did make two prelim finals at one point back-to-back, but haven't been particularly successful. Only at one point, Tom, from 2000 to 2002, they have... Seven draft picks in the first round over that year. They had a bit of a crack in the late 2000s. I don't know if you remember. They weren't particularly successful. Made a few semis. I think they made one prelim, but they never really got anywhere. But given their failures over the last five or six years, they haven't had the high draft picks until last year where they had two first rounders. So hopefully they will look to improve from there. All right. I told you this was going to be a complete draft analysis. and I'm sticking to that. We're at Port Adelaide now. We've still got a few teams to go. Port Adelaide, 2008 to 2009, they took four over that period. Some have worked out the likes of Boak and a a few others. Most haven't, um, but several were in that period that helped them towards the 2014, I believe it was, prelim final um, when they started Mm. to get pretty good over that period. Um, So several of them were key in that. I believe the likes of Pittard and a couple of others. But they didn't quite get the most. The prelim finals kind of par from what you'd want for that. You'd want a bit more. Then secondly, 2018 to 2019, as you mentioned, we won't go on it too much, five over that period, reinvigorated this list, turned them into a side that's made prelims back-to-back years, and potentially further this year. Richmond. Now, Geelong and Richmond are the most interesting teams in this for me because they don't have high track records of this. You can throw Sydney in as well. We'll get to them in a second. They don't have many high draft picks in this. Richmond, 2004 to 2005, they had five over that period, the likes of Cochin and Delidio and a few others. But for the most part, not, almost none of those players were successful in the premiership era. I think Cochin was the exception. Um, they have had almost no draft capital since then. The problem was from kind of 2006 through to 2015, they kept finishing around the middle, didn't get high draft picks, weren't able to throw themselves up. But with some shrewd trading, great coaching from Damon Hardwick, they got themselves to a three out of four over that period. Now, their talent their talent must have been diamonds in the rough then. Oh. Surely that Rance, Cochin, Martin, mm. Rewalt. Sure, surely that would be the only things then that they would have gotten 
via the draft and, and nothing else. There are a couple of ones that they just straight up nailed, like um, Rance and Martin were both first round picks that they got absolutely right. But yeah. when I talked about my um, St Kilda dream team earlier in the season, where if they got their draft picks right, who they could have picked, there were several players like Lambert um, and others that were taken in uh, Asprey, I believe, or was it Jaden Short, I think, that were taken in the rookie draft. And we're just plucked yeah, yeah. from nowhere and turned into um, like really top end players. Shane Edwards, I think, was another one. Um, right when we're talking about flops, we can't help but talk about St Kilda. Um, there was two thousand the two thousand to two thousand and one period where they took the likes of uh, Rewalt and Kaczynski back to back. Of course, famously a pick one and two um, over one era. They turned out pretty well. I'll give them a pass mark. They made a couple of prelims through the 2004-ish period where they lost to Port Adelaide. And then, of course, the grand finals against Geelong and Collingwood where they got literally as close as you can get without winning. Um, But then, of course, the massive failure, 2013 to 2014, five first-round draft picks in that era, including when they had Jack Billings um, and Paddy McCartan over successive years, and both of those have not turned out how they would be liked. Sydney, Tom, you guys are in the Geelong camp. You haven't had four first-round draft picks over successive years at all. Very interesting. What is interesting about Sydney, though, there's a lot of times where they do have two, but just never in back-to-back years. It's never one great clump that builds up towards a dynasty. And I think that's the product of this Sydney side, like the Geelong side, that's continually rolling. When you're continually rolling, you don't get the clumps, but you do have the odd year where maybe you trade out a player and you trade into the draft and get a couple of good ones in a row. Plus your academy, you've had the likes of Heaney and Mills get at above average value. Yeah. All right. To finish up, we've got West Coast and the Western Bulldogs. West Coast, 2007 to 2008. Post the 2005-2006 successful period, they had a 2007-2008 period where they were towards the uh, the bottom end of the ladder. Got some high draft picks in there. Um, and that was the side, along with the 2010-2011 draft, where they got four over then, that built towards the 2018 grand final. They were the crux of the players, a lot of yeah. the senior players over that period. Nick Nananui um, as one such in that era. And finally, Western Bulldogs to finish. 2011-2012, they took four in that round, uh, four in that period. Those were the guys that helped go on to lead the 2016 um, grand final success, as well as some of the guys like Bontempelli. He wasn't in that period now, um, then, who are currently some of the best players this season in a side that's playing in a prelim. So when I look at all of that, Tom, when I look at all of that, and it took me ages, I know I'm sorry, everyone, I made you sit through it all, but I find it fascinating. I hope some of you do too. For the, for the most part, the teams that went through that, apart from a couple ones, have been mostly successful. Not all of them won premierships, but I would guesstimate that of these periods, most of these teams, at least probably two-thirds, if not three-quarters, have got a prelim as a result of having those clumps of draft picks. There are a couple of teams in here, you know, the Melbournes, the Essendons, the St. Kildas, the Carltons, that have seen very little success over the last two decades. And and it's been a real product, I would argue, of development and the inability to turn high draft picks into high caliber players. But for most of the rest of the teams, they've been pretty successful with what they've got. You've heard it all. You've sat there and listened to me. What are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I, 
you know, I've read books on, on drafting and um, listening to that. It's It's got to be all about the the pick, right? The, you know, the gel tam, you know, the tamling over Judd or whatever it was um, for Richmond or, you know, overlooking Bonten Paley if you're St. Kilda's, St. Kilda's case. Like that changes an entire club um, for, as you've said, five, as you, you've aptly put, it's about five years. Um, and then, yeah, the other thing is yeah, that death in the middle that Frio has, su- that, you know, from recent memory, Frio has suffered um, since their, you know, grand final period uh, post-2013. Um, that uh, you sort of just, yeah, get into that in, ten, you know, ninth to 14th spot. You get one first-round pick. You assume you're going to bounce up so you don't try and get that second one and you just sort of middle out there and then you go right to the bottom and that's the period of unsuccessfulness. So you can either go two ways. You can either be, uh, you know, a failure of list management and a failure of recruitment or uh, a failure of, uh, of game style and game plan. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. Um I'm not in that camp personally. I understand that camp. And obviously if Richmond had taken Judd or if um, St Kilda had taken Bottom Pally, the teams would be much better as a result. I am more in a believer that kids at that age are just so malleable. They, they will be whatever you turn them into. And if they don't become good players, like in fairness to Jack Billings, like Jack Billings is not a bad player. Like by no, no, means, no, he's, he's not. Yeah, yeah. I'm more talking about you know the, you know, unfor- the unfortunate circumstances behind Paddy McCartan's, you know, you know, um, pick one or, um, who else? Who else didn't get, never got on the park? So let's talk about the ones that flopped the most. And for me, I'm looking at the, the ones in which the development just did not turn those players into the players they could have been, and that's the 2009 national draft. Right? Let's have a look at that. So Melbourne have picks. 1, 2, and 11, right? 1, 2, and 11. You should be able to get one A grader out of that and one B grader out of that at a minimum. So let's look at what they've got, right? Pick one, Tom Scully, right? Became an A grader at one point, not at Melbourne. Not at Melbourne. Was never A grader. Was B grader best at Melbourne. At best, if, if, if anything. Then you've got Jack Trengrove at pick two, who never achieved what they wanted him to, had the captaincy thrust on upon him at a young age before it ended up after many years of being underwhelming, being shunted off to Port Adelaide. And then at number 11, I don't know if you even remember this name, Jordan Gisbets, who was drafted by Melbourne, played. Let me get you the official number of games up, but it wasn't many. Um, 19 for Melbourne over three years before being uh, traded to North, where he didn't play a game there. Um, like that is for me one of the most unsuccessful draft crops I've ever seen. Um, and all three of those players, in particular, you watch what Scully has. You, you saw at GWS what made him such an asset. And you thought, mm. why weren't you able to get this out of him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. Yeah, you know, like the Darcy, you know, the Darcy Parish situation this year as well. 
comes to mind in you know in that in that if it stayed down that course you know you could would you know he might not be on a list in in two years um and we've spoken about it before you know delisted you know gold coast delisted player like player like jared lyons and he's you know top three player in in brisbane for the net for you know the past two years yeah um it's about talent development i think yeah that would probably make more sense. And it is, like, in fairness, it is it is complicated, you know? Like, I'm not going to deny that the difference in people is really important. Like, if I give you another example, right? In 2009, Richmond took Dustin Martin at pick three, okay? Um, mm-hmm. Now, Dustin Martin was a troubled person who Richmond had managed to help develop into an incredible person that has become an incredible player, Right? Now, let's compare that to, in 2010, Gold Coast at pick two took Harley Bunnell. Another young man with incredible talent, just both flair players who... I, I've watched Harley Bunnell play games where he's kicked five goals and had 30 touches and been the best player on the field by a country mile. Mm-hmm. How do you, as a club, encourage somebody to grow up both in their game and make that regular, as well as make him grow up as a, as a person... Um, and, and Gold Coast were unable to do that in what we have learned about since was a drug-fueled culture. So I, I obviously, you know, if, if Melbourne had picked Dustin Martin instead of Jack, Jack Trengrove, they would have been a much more successful club. But I also look at those two and say, well, you can't say pick Dustin Martin in the next draft because the next Dustin Martin is about how he was developed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I get that. Yeah, maybe maybe post pick one, you know, t- that two to five bracket is probably all all similar, and and then it's all about development from there. Excellent analysis from you, Alex. Excellent. Thank you, thank you very much. I put a lot of effort to that. It took ages, and I hope that people enjoyed listening to me prattle on about high draft picks for an extended period. All right, we've had our seriousness. Now let's, you know. Settle back and let's go into something fun now. Hello and welcome back to So You Think You Can Coach, the show where coaching ability does not matter. Today we have Luke Sayers representing the Carlton Football Club. Luke, what are you looking for? Well, Alex, we're here for the best, most experienced coach as we're looking to make finals in 2022. Thanks, Luke. I'm sure those are expectations that will definitely be met. Now let's have a look at the selection panel you've assembled. Up first, he's most famous for hitting an umpire and he's not Toby Green, it's Diesel Williams. It's the people who have systematically destroyed the club over the last four years, President Kane Little and two random board members. Wait, you actually got Matthew Lloyd? Oh no, sorry, it's Brad Lloyd. And finally, the one man who's had success at Carlton, it's David Parkin. Thank you, Alex. We're looking forward to systematically destroying the club. No, sorry. That was the truth. Um, we're hoping to make the club a better place. Thank you. Now let's move on to meeting our coaches for this week, starting with Alistair Clarkson. Alistair Clarkson, are you here? No. Okay. What about Ross Lyon? No. Okay. Uh, Brad Scott then. Really? Where's he? He's working for the AFL. 
Yeah, that's fair enough, I suppose. What about Justin Lepage? He's at Collingwood. Blimey, everyone's at Collingwood these days. Well, what have we got left? Um, okay, well, he's the only one that's actually coached a team to a victory in finals. It's Michael Voss. Vossi, are you excited to work at Carlton? Gardner, but no one else will have me, so, you know, call me stoked. All right, then, let's try somebody else. He's the leftovers from Collingwood, which means he's perfect for Carlton. It's Adam Kingsley. Now, Adam, you're highly qualified as a successful assistant coach. What makes you think you can be a senior coach? Wait, sorry, sorry, sorry. He's never been a senior coach of an AFL side? Show him out, please. But he's got great recommendations and qualifications. Yes, but we're looking for an experienced senior coach and we couldn't backtrack on that now. Well, there's not many of them. Don Pike doesn't want you, so I guess you could have Alan Richardson. No. Brendan McCartney. No. Brenton Sanderson? Nope. So who's the last one left? What, Brendan Bolton? Definitely not. Well, Luke, you're all out of candidates, and not just the ones whose names are Brendan. Who are you going to go with? Well, Alex, I think I'm going to go behind the selection panel's back, ignore their advice, and just rehire David Teague. Yep, that sounds exactly like something you would do. Thank you very much for joining us tonight on So You Think You Can Coach. We'll see you next year for Carlton's next coaching crisis. Good night! All right, Tom, who do you think is going to coach Carlton next year? I have no idea. Does anyone, does anyone know? Anyone? Anyone? <laughs> anyone? I have no idea. I hope it's a you know a Craig McRae type, um, that you know been you know a little bit older, been an assistant for in the system for a while, and any and a assistant, um, uh, in a successful club. However, I doubt it. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what it, yeah, uh, I don't know. For some reason, I feel like Carlton's just like, try, you know, being really pestery to, to Clarko. Like they're, uh, you know, they're being matched on Tinder and being really clean. Um, so no, maybe, I, I feel like what's happened, crack. right, is that um, they've, been, they've matched on Tinder and, and Clarko was like, Look, we need somewhere more private to chat. Let's go to Snapchat, right? And then after a little while, Clarko was like, mm, I'm not interested anymore. Started ghosting Carlton. And Carlton was like, tried a few others, swept on Tinder for a bit, you know, see what they could find. Couldn't find anything. So then went back to Snapchat and Clarko had blocked them. And so Carlton went back to when they originally matched Clarko on Tinder and was like, Clarko, are you still there? Like, it's me, Carlton. I'm still interested if you're still interested. <laughs> that is way, way too apt. <laughs> uh, we already talked about The Bachelor. I feel like there's a there's a long-form Tinder sketch in here somewhere that we could get to in a little bit of work. Yeah. Uh, back to the writer's room. <laughs> All right. Speaking of the writer's room, it's time for our second battle round, Thomas. Ding, ding, ding. And you're going to kick us off with a little bit of analysis. What do you got for us? 
Well, I was just thinking, you know, Craig McRae was just hired at the club and I saw a uh, interesting article on how to fix Collingwood um, currently and the job in front of Craig McRae and his coaching panel. Um, now, this year it's been a pretty catastrophic season from start to finish from the salary cap debacle that plagued the off-season to finishing uh you know, in the well below the the bottom, the bottom of uh, near the bottom of the ladder. However, there are a few redeeming factors which we'll go into. Um, uh, they finished the year with a six and sixteen win loss record, which is pretty uh, uh, abysmal, I would say. But they only lost by more than five goals twice throughout the year. Um. Their big issue was um, lapses in concentration. Now, there were seven occasions that Collingwood led at quarter time and went on to lose, including Zach Bailey after the siren and a one-point loss to Port Adelaide in the middle of the year. Not only that, they um, would win the last quarter six times throughout their season, but fail to overtake and win in the end um, against, you know, the likes of Western Bulldogs, Geelong and St Kilda all finished above them. Um, the incredible stat is for the entire season, they won five second quarters and ten third quarters wow. for the whole year. Um, so, it, so the positive from that is, okay, you know where you're going wrong. You, it's, you know, so easily identified and very easily fixed. Similar to what people are saying about Carlton's defensive lapses is that is solved by a preseason. That's what we've been told, that one preseason will fix the defensive lapse of Carlton. Now, Carlton sacked the coach. Sure. Um, (laughs) Great strategy. Um, The other option of Collingwood is that it's been a plaguing them, you know, even while they made the grand final in 2018, they just don't score enough. Um, they averaged the third worst attack in the league, averaging just over 70 points a game and kicking over a hundred once this year. Um, and what made it worse was, you know, they moved to a more attacking style under Robert Harvey when he was, you know, trying out for the role as caretaker coach. Um, and they only managed to kick 80 points over their two occasions, which both were wins. Um, for uh, Harvey. Now, their forward line on paper seems okay. It still seems like they're missing someone. Now, my check, very much an underrated medium-sized forward. I think he does a lot of things really well and is pretty versatile in that, you know, Bailey Fritch type role where he's a great overhead, quick on the ground, um, and a pretty accurate kick. Jamie Elliott still looks, if he's, if he's managed to stay healthy, still looks like an absolute star. I think won them a couple of games on his own boot this year um, and hopefully can go around again. Um, and Darcy Cameron's been a pretty solid uh, as a forward ruck. Now, to me, that's missing a Tom Lynch, ironically. Um, uh, so a key, you know, Mark kick goal forward. Um, or, you know, a Ben King style 
uh, uh, you know, two meter athletic as takes the takes the mark at the highest point. Um, that's probably what they'll aim to to draft at, not this season, but next season, um, which we'll get into. Um, and then the other thing is that they do need a little bit more youth in their list. Now, they did play nine debutants this year um, with 12 players who played under 40 games. And the the list that you name off is, you know, all right. Like Dacos, Quena, Noble, Roscoe, Nathan Murphy as, you know, the five, the five who look like they have the potential to be, you know, first rate first 22 players on a list, on on a Collingwood list, and probably would play at most other clubs as well. Now, the the issue, the the downside of that is they didn't get a single Rising Star nomination with those nine debutants. And, you know, McCreary, Trempianco, Rantel, McRae, Poulter, they all looked okay, but none of them jumped out at you and screamed, you know, Ah, uh, he's a star. Now they're getting that star this year with Dacos under father son, but he's not a, uh, uh, you know, that giant, big, tall key forward that they that they're needing. So the question is, what will Craig McRae do over this, you know, the next two years? Because I like your window of two years of of draft picks. Um, will do to, to to fix the team both on and off the field? Because as far as I'm aware, their salary cap issues don't go away. Um, no, um, their the salary cap issues are not going away. Um, Collingwood are primed for me, primed to... They have to absolutely cull some, play, um, cull some players for some high draft picks because I, I believe they don't have much of a choice. Um because of the fact that this is the most important reason, I'm assuming why you're suggesting they would go after uh, a key forward in next year's draft is because they don't have a um, they don't have a first round pick this year. They traded away pick one, uh, pick two, their first round pick in this year's draft to Greater Western Sydney for uh, pick 24 and pick 30 in last year's draft. Uh, which they took to get McRae and one of the other kids, I can't remember, uh, thinking that yeah. they would have another reasonably successful year this year, that they their first round pick would end up being, I don't know, 12 or something, and that it was going to be reasonable value. But instead, it's now worth pick two, the Geelong's got, which is absolutely amazing for them. And Collingwood, as we're saying, have entered into a, has entered into a period where they would want four first-round draft picks in two years currently don't have one for this year. So I would expect that, uh, for me, I'm looking at Darcy Moore and John Degoe, and I know we've had this conversation before, and anybody else with value, Taylor Adams and a big contract, potentially even Brody Grundy, um, and saying, look, if you're willing to give us two um, first-round draft picks, potentially even, you know, for somebody like Brody Grundy, if you were to go to... Um, Fremantle or Brisbane or well the problem is yeah. is who's gonna have currency, right? That's the thing. So uh, draft currency, yeah. yeah. So the Bulldogs. Yeah. Richmond, Fremantle and Brisbane it looks like are gonna be the three sides with currency. Um all three of them currently have two first round draft picks as it is. 
Um, or maybe Richmond have a first and a second. Um, Brisbane currently has two late first round draft picks plus a hoping to get um, a few more from the Chera trade, uh, from the Neil trade. And then Fremantle have um, two as it is, I believe, already and are hoping um, and will likely get more from Chera and then potentially trade some of them on for Neil. So if those are the three sides with currency, Potentially, you're looking at Grundy to Richmond or Brisbane for two first-rounders, including probably one in the top 10 would need to be necessary. Um, mm. You're looking at, you know, maybe uh, Darcy Moore to Fremantle's got enough fullbacks and so does um, Brisbane, but Richmond just lost uh, David Asprey to retirement. So they've got Bolter down there and not much else at fullback. So maybe they start going after Darcy Moore. Who knows, you know, Jordan Degoe would be valuable at any of those sides. Does somebody start throwing some currency around, especially with Brisbane? If they do end up with three to four first round selections, they don't need that. They do not need that. You'd be happy with a couple, but you'd be better off going and recruiting somebody that's going to be an A grader. Jordan Degoe, you can throw into the middle to replace your Lockie Neal can also go forward. It also maybe would give some more time for Zach Bailey to spend some time with mm-hmm. it along the cluggage if necessary, Cam Rayner, another forward mid option and, you know, create something, Cre- create something. So I, I don't know. I think that's got to be the go-to choice for Collingwood for me. They've got to trade something because they need to be in this year's and next year's draft. Although I do agree with you, you don't take the key forward this year. You've got to take them next year and plan for a five, six year rebuild. Yeah, you can't. They can't. As as yeah, you can't take it if you don't have the the capital. They they they're scraping together the points required for day to cost, get as day it cost. Is. Yeah, um, as it is. Um, so yeah, I would say if you're a Collingwood fan, expect worse next year. I would say the particularly the first half of next year when it's a new game style. Um, I just don't think they have that that talent that you know, a type of Essendon who brought in a bunch of new kids. They just don't have that that young talent. They might have, you know, a similar backbone of players. Um, you know, you know, Stringer, McGrath, um, and Heppel and mm. you know, for for Essendon, where whereas, you know, you've got Adams, Grandy, uh, Dugowie, um on the and more on the other side. Um, uh, but it's just yeah, it's just that youth is just the 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 ceiling is too low and they need to start getting in players with that high high ceiling yeah and you hope that you get the most out of your mccrays and the ones that came before your other day cost before you add to this one so for those wondering um brisbane currently have 18 and 14 um but their their salary caps their salary caps probably yeah but neil will will open a big hole in that Mm, if he goes yeah 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 if you go, I'm almost certain he will go. It seems highly likely. So Brisbane currently have 18 and 14, um, which they could potentially add to that, um, including the pick eight from Fremantle for Neil. Um, Fremantle, as it currently stands, have eight, and they're expecting probably six plus more from Carlton. So they would have that to work with. Um, and then Richmond, as it stands, have pick seven and 16, which they could use to throw at people as well. So that's what teams have got in terms of um, 
power to throw around. Yeah. Very interesting from you, Tom. I like that breakdown into Collingwood. Um, all right. Now, we've already been talking about Lockie Neal. I've got a solution for you. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Now, my solution is one of my one of my favorite parts of this time of year is when we start getting into the multiple-way trades, Tom. It's no, it's no longer just about one player going <laughs> in one direction and the draft picks coming the other way. No, no, no. I love it when we Come get on. into the silly season of six players going in six different directions. So I've got a seven-way trade for us, Tom, with everybody winning out of it. Are, are you ready? I'm very ready. Well, okay, so um, we know, of course, Neil is Neil is going to Fremantle and Chera is going out. So in Neil, out Chera for Fremantle. Right, that's the obvious one. Um, Brisbane, out Lockie Neil, in. No, not Jordan Degoli or Darcy Moore. No, seven key forwards, none of which can kick straight. Uh, <laughs> okay, okay, I get what's going on now. Now, those, those seven key forwards, none of which can kick straight, have to come from somewhere, of course. That's how this yeah. merry-go-round works. So, yeah. West Coast, out. Seven key forwards, none of which can kick straight. They've got an abundance over there. In, players they can overpay instead. <laughs> okay. All right. Now, going. Th- those players that they can overpay, they have to come from somewhere as well. So... Um, Who's got that in abundance? Well, the Giants. Uh, out, players they can overpay. In, more high draft picks. <laughs> the got, cycle repeats. Yeah, the callback to my analysis there as well. More high draft picks for the Giants. But as we know, Tom, those more high draft picks are going to come from somewhere. So Geelong, out. More high draft picks. In, some guys old enough to retire. <laughs> One more round. Let's yeah. go again. Um, so where where are those where are those some guys that are old enough to retire? Well, Tom, there's a few I can think of. Richmond out. Some guys old enough to retire that they have actually retired in at Richmond. Reasonable expectations. <laughs> where is that coming from? <laughs> well, of course, Tom. What's the only team left in the loop? We've only got one to go. Carlton in Chera out. Reasonable expectations. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> <laughs> very good. <laughs> it's a very, very good, very nice. Very oh, I loved nice. the ending in particular. <laughs> Didn't you think that was good? <laughs> they've, they've got Chara. Oh, they've got a new coach who's going to teach them how to defend. There's no way they're going to have any uh, low expectations uh, have next you, year. Have you seen? Have you seen the YouTube videos of the red, the Red Bull competition where people make their own plane, but it's just a you know oh, um, cardboard. Giant run up, and then they Not just Birdman. Yeah, the Birdman challenge. Yeah, Birdman. Yeah, I, I love yeah, it. It's that brilliant. joke was that joke was will win the award for Birdman challenge. <laughs> I cannot wait for Carlton next season. It's going to be great if they finish twelfth again, right? And with a new coach that was supposedly going to fix them with Weedering, Mackay, Walsh, and Chera, like. How do you justify that? How, how do you justify yeah. any of the actions taken? Nah, nothing. They, they'll, they'll go to Tassie. <laughs> go to ta- That's the answer. All right. All right, that rounds up our battle rounds for this week, Tom. Who do you think won? Oh, that was a tough one. I think we've, you, your analysis probably just deserves too much credit for the, the amount of effort going in. 
Yes, I, I, I do agree. I think the analysis was, was very strong. I'm very proud of it. Thank you very much. Um, not bad from you, though. It does put me two points up in our battle rounds with three weeks to go, Tom. To win from here, you got to go perfect. We need we need your absolute A game from next week onwards. Yeah. Okay. I'll bring it. <laughs> All right. And finally, as we wrap up our show this week, we're going to go into our tips. Um, you did well on the weekend. Yeah, outscored me on one. We both agreed that Geelong was going to beat the Giants, and they did. And then we were split 50-50 on Brisbane v Bulldogs. I, I was telling you I could justify it either way, and in the end, that's how it turned out. Yeah. You were more confident in the Bulldogs that they'd get it done, and they did one-point winners in that absolute thriller. It leaves us at preliminary final week, Tom. I can't tell you how excited I am. I know a lot of the players talk about it, but it is my favourite week. Grand finals are like, they're, they're, they're the dessert, you know, the cherry on the cake, but this is the meal, you know? Like, this is when you really get to find out who are the good sides. Um this is the pressure, you know, uh, the, the players talk about how in grand final week, you're just riding on a high um, of just being there is just good enough. And that's what it feels like for me, even though I'm not actually playing, it feels like, wow, I'm just excited that it's grand final week. But this is the last week where we get to really analyze and go, which team is good enough? Who's good enough at the clutch moments? You know, I think back at all of those massive prelim final moments I've seen over the years, I think of 2016, one of the best games I've ever seen. Um, Clay Smith's four goals in the first half to get them up and Tory Dixon's amazing play. Jack McRae kicking a goal late to win them the game. I go back and I think of um, I think of Luke Hodges' smother to get Hawthorne across the line against Port Adelaide. You know, there, there are so many great moments. I think that's why I'm so excited about this week. What about you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely love prelim final week. I, I As you said, yeah seeing the 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 clutch moments but not only that the i think that you know the quality of football and the 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 closeness of the sides is way more re- like prevalent in in preliminary final week like a lot of blowouts happen on grand final day mm. um than we expect um even if it's a 1v2 side um uh and you know, we we've all witnessed it. You know, two, you know, uh, almost two, three peats in a in in a row. Um, but prelim final week of, is the week for you know close games and absolute classics. Um, so I can't wait. Yeah, well, I think we um, experienced two sides in Hawthorne and Richmond that both their methodology was grind it out in the prelim final and then walk over opposition in a grand. So. It'll be interesting to see what happens this week. Let's start out with, uh, to be honest, I don't know which game has a stronger favourite, but both games are fascinating. Both games, the side that won their qualifying final are the favourites. And firstly, we have Melbourne versus Geelong at Optus Stadium. Geelong, off their convincing performance against the GWS, just reminding us all why they are so good in the first place, why they're here and they deserve to be here. Their continual finals record is they don't win a lot of games, Tom, but they do make prelim finals. That's what they do. Against the Melbourne side, they're the best team in the competition right now. You can't argue with that. All of the numbers reflect that. They finished on top of the ladder. They won their qualifying final convincingly. They've got the best defense in the competition, the best ruckman in the competition, among the best midfielders on the competition, and a forward line that has vi- multiple viable options, even if it isn't necessarily the best. So 
Who do you feel likes coming out on top and why? So the only thing I would say is that Geelong have that experience. And I think, you know, it's been spoken about a lot and it will continually be spoken about right up until the first bounce, is that the only thing that you would have against Melbourne is that they are culturally a choking team. They're a team that just, whenever expectation is upon them, they fail to deliver. Now, this, I believe, is a different Melbourne, which is why I think that I'm going to tip them and why I think they will win, because pound for pound, you know, game plan and assets versus game plan and assets, Melbourne should win. The last time they played, you know, they were, you know, they they were should have been a two goal game at half time, but for three freak goals in the center circle in the center circle without them touching the ball, basically, um, and that happens very rarely in a game of football. Um, so I think on one end that forty four point margin that they were down doesn't really matter, um, and then to be able to bring that back. To, uh, to win after the siren um, is also an incredible feat. Um, on the other hand, if everything goes to plan, I think Geelong still need a you know Jeremy Cameron five um, and and a Hawkins you know three to, three to five. Uh, I would say I would say ten goals between him, Cameron Hawkins, and Rowan. And anything less than that, and I just don't see them beating the the demons midfield and uh, um, and uh, defensive game. Yeah, so you bring up that 2018 prelim final that I think is so significant, and I just want to touch on something here. So I I agree with you. I think this Melbourne side is a different, more mature side. I think they will be able to handle. The expectation. But, but, let's say Geelong kicked the first three or four goals. I'm going to give you a list of the Melbourne players who played on that day who will be playing this weekend likely and how many of them you think might just have that little thought going in the back of their mind saying, oh God, not this again. So, Petraka, Neil Bullen, McDonald, Spargo, Harms, Hibbard, um, Gorn, Oliver, Viney, Salem, Brayshaw. That's half the team. Yeah, and a lot of st- st- like talent. Top players as not, well. Not not only half the team. They're they're all the good they're players. All the players that the players that have to play well if they're going to get mm. into a grand final. So that's an interesting factor, I think. Um, the, the the most interesting part for me, we talked about last week with the Geelong Giants game. How um, if the Giants could bully the Geelong out of the centre then they could have more of an impact. But if they didn't, then Geelong would just win, beat them on the outside. And that was basically what happened. They did well out of the centre to start with for most of the first half, the Giants, but didn't have enough potency going forward to capitalise. And as a result of which, Geelong just killed them, rebounding out from defence. Mm-hmm. Now, for me, where this game is going to be won or lost is Melbourne's defence and Geelong's forward line. I think both teams will get a pretty good look in the centre. They've both got more than enough to work with in the centre, that they will win enough ball. Rhys Stanley's in good form. Selwood and Dangerfield will do their job versus Gorn, Petrarca, Oliver. Enough said. 
Melbourne's forward line, meanwhile, is good without being incredible. Geelong's defence, very system-based, very effective. I'm sure Geelong's defence will do their job. I don't think anybody thinks Melbourne's going to kick 15 goals. They'll kick their 12, 13, 14. The question is what happens at the other end, right? So if Melbourne end up on 75, 80-odd, as they probably will, um, what happens to Geelong, right? So when Geelong go forward with Hawkins, who will likely get Stephen May, with Cameron, who will likely get Harrison Petty, or maybe the other way around, um, then you've still got to deal with Radicalia, who it seems likely is going to play. Does Lever go to him? And if he does, that's going to kill a lot of his ability to float off because you can't leave Radicalia by himself. In fact, you can't even ignore him if it's a packed contest. He, Lever can't be going flying for marks if Radicalia is nearby because he gets a little bit of body on somebody, he'll fly, you know? Like, that's, that's his game. And then meanwhile, you've got Gary Rowan, who, if you give him a small, and we saw how badly Joel Smith, who's out this week, was beaten up by... Um, Charlie Cameron last um, the last time they played uh, to, when Melbourne and Brisbane played two weeks ago. If Gary Rowan gets Michael Hibbert, who's his likely replacement, or potentially Christian Salem, who's not strong defensively, he could have the influence. So Geelong have got four options there that can really kick goals. You know, if they get 10, 11, 12 goals between those four and the Melbourne defence cannot keep them out with their raw height and power, then we're going to be looking at a really close game and it might come down to who can be clutch under pressure, Tom. And based on last time, cometh the moment, cometh the max. You know, like it's just, you've got to go with Melbourne under the pressure, but then Geelong have the experience. So I don't know, I'm torn. I'm tipping Melbourne, but I think it's going to be a lot closer than a lot of people think it will be. Yeah, interesting, interesting. Uh, uh, I think that the... Melbourne forward line is a little bit more underrated. And I think we'll see prelim final, the, the their potency. Yeah, I mean, Ben Brown has been competitive for the last couple of months, but he hasn't he hasn't really dominated in the way that we he know he can. He hasn't dominated, yeah. But, but he he's doing his job. Role to, yeah, he plays a different role to where, what he did in North Melbourne. And I think it's not designed for him to kick bags of goals. Yeah. And I mean, if he keeps doing his job and McDonald kicks a couple, Petrarca kicks a couple, Spargo kicks a couple, Bailey Fritch kicks a couple and Petrarca, you know, like you've got your goals there. Like that's it. Mm-hmm. All right. We're both going for Melbourne. Let's talk about the second prelim final. We've got a Port Adelaide side off a week's break. It's hard to know where Port Adelaide are at. We've constantly underestimated them in the back half of this season. And yet here they are prelim final day, um, a win away from a grand final for the first time since 2004, it will be for them. Which, uh, Sorry, not 2004. They played in 2007. Their last, their last grand final in 2007 was mm. quite an embarrassing experience. They'll be looking to make up for that. So that's how close they are to it. They're playing a Western Bulldogs side, which will have to run the gauntlet. And God, they've been there before. They've done that, Tom. If anyone believes they can win this game, the Western Bulldogs, it is them. Who yeah. do you think is going to get the job done? So, the case for Bulldogs is, I think Luke Beveridge is severely underestimated as an influencer on the contest. Now, we usually talk about players um, and, you know, ability and, and, and raw skill on the field. 
when we talk about matchups. But I think you can't talk about the Bulldogs without talking about Bevo. And the thing that I would say is Bevo will easily look at prelim uh, at the Geelong pre Geelong Port prelim at uh, Geelong Port qualifying final and say, okay, they have the best intercept defender at the moment in Alilia and very solid Tom Jonas in the air and Clurie, who are both both t- tall t- taller than your average defender in their position and can mark overhead. And I wouldn't be surprised if they go out and up forward, they refuse to kick it in the air, refuse to kick it high, and everything is give it to McRae, low dart inside 50, particularly if if it ends up being Bontempelli can only play forward, um, low darts, you know, bring it to, bring it to ground. Um, and, you know, uh, Bont and the small forward brigade will, will pick up the pieces. And the, the midfield is a goal kicking midfield. Let's, um, let's put it like that. Now that's the case for them. The case against is yeah, Bont, I don't think he'll be a hundred percent either way. Um, he'll, I think he'll play, but I definitely don't. You won't expect him to, you know, win the game off his own boot. Um, and Cody, don't under, don't underestimate that how big of a loss Cody Waitman is in that forward line. It's sort of built, particularly against uh, a relatively tall Port Adelaide defense. It's kind of built for him on the stage. I know he's only nineteen, but for someone like that who has, you know, serious, serious goal, goal, uh, knack for kicking goals, um, someone like Waitman uh, will be sorely missed. Um, on the other end, if any team it can beat the smalls of Port, it is the Bulldogs. The Bulldogs have an Australian's path back in Bailey Dale. And Bailey Williams, who completely shut Charlie Cameron when he was put on him in a inspired coaching move last week. So there are options defensively for them. It's just a question on whether a Charlie Dixon or Todd Marshall will will take a you know a couple overhead marks, kick two goals each. It's uh, I think from there you'll you won't be able to catch him. So much to take away from that. I mean, just quickly, yeah, the battle between the Bulldogs' small defenders, Daniel, you didn't mention, but yeah, Dale, Bailey Williams, and Duray, who also did such a great job on the weekend. Duray, Duray. Um, versus uh, uh, Fantasia, Butters, Rosie, Motlop, uh, that lot. That, that's going to be really interesting. Um, the one thing I want to talk about with this game is we can't talk about the Bulldogs right now without talking about running the gambit um, and the pre-finals buy. So in the past five years, since we've had the introduction of the pre-finals buy, of the teams that won their qualifying final and had the week off, only four of them won their prelim final. Four out of yeah, ten. It's a, right? it's a, yeah, it's a real, real good case study this because it's a, a super interesting what the results are. Mm. Now, you may argue that number should be higher. You may argue that the about 80% that it was beforehand should be lower. It doesn't actually matter. This season, we have a new buy. This time, it's uh, going to be 
after the prelim final. So it's been kind of pushed back to what you would, would have seen beforehand where the teams that have run the gambit on the back of the season will be under a lot more pressure. As a result of that, are we expecting, you know, the two home sides that have had the break to be in a much better position? I think so. Mm-hmm. I think so. 100%. Now, when the Western Bulldogs did it last time, they had that advantage. I don't think we're going to see that two teams of the two teams that qualified, I don't think we're going to see one of them lose. We might, we might. But I think Port Adelaide and Melbourne are both in really good positions here. Port Adelaide, everything is working for them at the right time. They are, at the moment, the age-old adage of it's not the best team over the season that wins the grand final. It's the best team on the best day, right? Yep. They're in great form. Their team is chugging along. They've got Scott Lysett, who is going to monster whoever's playing in the ruck for the Western Bulldogs this week, probably even if it's an underdone Steph Martin. Their midfield's playing beautifully. Their defense looks really good, as you talked about. Um, and their forward line looks really good. I'm, I I like their structure. They, they have the advantage of both dimensions of a forward line. So with some key forwards, like the Geelong forward line, for instance, you've got a couple key forwards. And if they don't get you, you, there's no one else. If you can avoid those key forwards, shut them down. You know, Taylor takes out Hawkins a few weeks ago. Cameron doesn't play. There's nobody else there to kick the goals. And then you have that contrasted to, you know, that Richmond forward line of a few years ago or the Melbourne forward line of now where they've got all of these small players and Tom McDonald who can kind of kick goals, Jack Riot who can kind of kick goals, but it's relying on the small forwards to get the job done. But if they need somebody to kick longer, they don't have a lot of options. McDonald and Brown can provide a contest, but they don't kick a bag of goals. Charlie hasn't been at his best this season, but they've got both. And I like that about Port Adelaide. They've got the series of smalls that if Charlie's, you know, getting outmarked, they can get the job done. But if things go badly for Port Adelaide, the smalls aren't getting the ball moving forward, low in entry, which they love on that counter-attack, that slingshot, you kick to Charlie and you say, Charlie, jump. And he is genuinely 100%. powerful enough and he's one which of the is, best contestants Which is basically the what they've been doing the back half of the year. Yeah. Um, so it gives, them, it gives them the option. They're not anywhere near as reliant on slow ball movement like Geelong. They're not as reliant on the opposition as turning it over as Melbourne. And they're not as reliant on fast ball movement to get it into smaller forwards like the Western Bulldogs. They, they are the most well-rounded of all of the teams. Um, but in the same way, they don't have the same dominance. Their small forwards aren't as good as Melbourne's. They're dominant, but they don't have the same pressure ability and they don't have the same ability to win the ball up the field that allows them to kick goals. They don't have the depth in their tall forwards as Port Adelaide. Uh, Port Adelaide don't have the depth in, their, depth in their tall forwards as Geelong. Geelong have Cameron and Hawkins that can both kick a bag of goals. It's Dixon and then Marshall and Laddams. Not a lot there. And maybe Georgiades, we'll see, right? Then they don't have the midfield strength of a couple of the other sides of the Bulldogs and of Melbourne and Geelong. The midfield is very good, but it's not as good as the others. Their defense is similarly, like it's strong across the board, but it's not full of some of the names of Melbourne with Lever and Salem and May. It's not anywhere near as as likely to destroy you as that, but everything works well. And it'll depend for me on what we get from the Western Bulldogs because we've watched them over the last three weeks improve. We got kind of a seven out of 10 performance against 
Port Adelaide in the last game of the season. They they went down narrowly against the Port Adelaide side that um, that went with their normal eight and a half out of ten that they do consistently. Um, then in the first week of finals, the Bulldogs improved. They were an eight out of ten. They weren't at their best, but they did enough to get past Essendon last week. I think they were an improvement again. You know. Eight and a half out of ten, that's about where they're at, the Western Bulldogs. You know, they weren't enough to beat Melbourne or Geelong in their day. They weren't anywhere near their best, but they were definitely better and good enough to beat Brisbane. If we get the Bulldogs we saw earlier in the season, Bontempelli plays like he's fit, Trelaw starts to get back to that best, Dunkley starts to get back to that best. The Bulldogs can win this and probably will win this if they achieve that. I still don't think they're there yet. I think there's too many problems. Still missing Steph Martin. Bontempelli, I think. I'm almost certain he will play, but he won't be right. We'll see him playing at 80%. He'll probably have 24 touches, kick a goal, and be pretty good, but just not at his best and not at the level where he can dominate a game. For me, I'm going Port Adelaide, and it's going to be a Melbourne Port grand final for me. Yeah, yeah, same as me. Which is what you had at the um, at the start of the finals, yes? Yes, yes, yes. But I think that they were the two favourites. So. They were the two finals. I did have Geelong, but they lost for me in the first round. What a shame. All right, you heard it here first, folks. We are both backing in the favourites. Nice and adventurous here we are in this podcast. Um, <laughs> so hopefully all of you enjoyed that about us. Uh, that wraps us up for this week. It's been a long show, but I hope you enjoyed it. A whole lot of jokes, whole lot of analysis, whole lot of everything, Thomas. Yes, I think it was a pretty pretty good one this week. Pretty, pretty good. Pretty good one this week. We've got three weeks to go. Hopefully you're excited. Um, we'll review the prelim final next week. Then we've got our buy-around special in which we'll have fun with a few things, talk about the grand final. And then the grand final itself, Tom, and our review of that. Can't wait. It's going to be so good. I hope you all enjoyed our show this week. You can find us in all of our normal places, Facebook, Instagram, Tom, all the podcast places. Yeah, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, you know the deal. Every week I kind of expect you to say a new place and I'm just like, yep, didn't know that existed. And I'm never sure whether or not you're actually making things up and I don't know about them or you are just listing places that do exist. (laughs) You'll never know. (laughs) All right. Thank you very much for joining us. My name is Alex Henry. I'm Tom Kreiser. We'll see you next week.